Hey, this is Jalen Warner, and you're listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. Don't get cocky. Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. But uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? You found something. You found the Rebel Base Card Podcast. What a piece of junk. I'm your host, Greg McLaughlin. Just as clumsy as he is stupid. Join me as we discuss Star Wars trading cards and card collecting. We need a statement, not a manifesto. We'll talk about sets from the original vintage. No, no, the one I'm pointing to. All the way to current releases. This? Yes. All right, let's get started. Commence primary ignition. Welcome back, or if this is your first episode, welcome aboard. My name is Greg McLaughlin, and this is the Rebel Base Cart Podcast. Very happy to be finally bringing you the highlights of the Spring Chicago Non-Sport Card Show now that we are in the summer. Uh, I know that once the madness that was Celebration and then Kenobi hit, it was going to be quite a task to try to get all this in. We do have a lot of interviews to bring to you, and uh, it'll be kind of fun to revisit some of these um, because... A lot of the content really is evergreen, and that's one of the things that I like about this podcast is is that you know a lot of this information is just as good now as it will be months from now. And something like the Chicago Non-Sport Card Show, you know, it, it's almost like a wine that just gets better over time because when you go back and you revisit it, like this was the second time I had a chance to visit, you know, seeing some of these folks again, revisiting some of the, you know, the cards that I saw maybe before, rediscovering some ones that um, I saw in my youth, that's, that, that kind of gives me a nice vibe, and we are sort of in between shows, because there are two of them. There's one in the spring, and there's one in October or in the fall. And this one was especially great, because I had a chance to hang out with artist Jalen Warner, and uh, right away, as soon as uh, you know, he, he reached out to me very early in the process and was like, hey, you can crash at my booth. And it gave me a very unique perspective, I think, on the whole show. But to kind of get, you know, put yourself in their shoes of, you know, watching the con kind of spread around you. And I was able to capture a lot of great audio uh, by using part of that, you know, part of his booth as sort of like, you know, a launching pad where I could go, you know, get some interviews, do a little shopping and whatnot, and kind of feel like I wasn't just going around in laps. Um, but as I revisited a lot of this, and you're going to hear from a lot of folks tonight, um, it's kind of like a nice diary of, of, of a card show con. And so I'm very happy to be able to finally bring this to you. Um, I'm excited to go back again uh, for their fall show. And, and like I said, a lot of times, especially with a lot of new product uh, that is, you know, that was delayed in coming out. And when it came out, it was too expensive in the ways. And I'll get this to it in more in the homestead keeping. But, you know, some of those cards will kind of be there for you, you know, even though they might be a little harder to get in some cases, they might be a little more expensive. Some of those things are just kind of waiting uh, to be discovered again. And that's something, you know, when I had a chance to get some non other non-sport cards from Mike Summer over at the Wax Pack Hero uh, Sports Card Podcast, you know, it was like revisiting an old friend. And so this is what I kind of feel like when I when I attend these kind of cons and uh, just talk to these folks. And, and this was a great show, I think, just because when you kind of hear some of these pieces together and you'll hear Jalen Warner, various parts of the episode, talk about, you know, what he's doing at the time. It, it Like I said, it's a nice little diary of, of this event, and I'm very excited to bring this to you. Um, 
there is a lot in homestead keeping, so it's about you know about a 15-minute segment. So if you want to like breeze past that, you know you'll hear me do my intro from from the card show. Uh, but there was just so much going on uh, because not only of the releases and how much you know they were going for and all that. Uh, there's a lot of good information there, but if you want to kind of breeze on ahead and get into the meat and potatoes of the episode, feel free. This is going to be a, a little bit of a longer one. Anyway, I got a feeling by the time all this is said and done with all the pieces put together, um, you can go ahead and just kind of go past that. If you just kind of want to hear the highlights, and you, you can always hear me, right, drone on and on about cards. Uh, well, it's, I have one job, right? At any rate, we still have some great interviews coming up um, with Mark Molcaster of Fanthatrax. Uh, and, and other folks as well. So I'm excited to, like I said, kind of dive into this backlog. Now that some of this is done, it was been, it's been an incredibly busy summer. Um, but uh, the, the, the goodness is there for us to wait and discover. And uh, let's get to some homestead keeping. I know Uncle Owens, uh, he, boy, he's been really been after me to get all this stuff done. So let's, let's get the process of healing begins with getting all this stuff done. And uh, I'll see you on the other side. Hello there. This is Greg Cass at Ion Cannon on Twitter and Instagram, and you're listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. All right, so let's run down the card release schedule. Uh, I'm going to recap some of the stuff that happened earlier in the year, and I will get to what is uh, quote-unquote known uh, for the rest of the year and kind of give you some ideas of some of the cost. And sorry, there's just going to be a lot of a lot of days flying at you. Um, so as of this recording... Uh, we are still in the grips of uh, Chrome Sapphire Edition. This was an online-only release that uh, originally came out at uh, 199 per box. Uh, it sure as heck is not doing that now. It's trending anywhere from uh, about anywhere from seven, eight hundred dollars to well over a thousand. Um, those were eight packs to a box, four cards to a pack. And really what the Chrome Sapphire Edition was, was sort of, um, and I think they took this cue from some of the sports cards uh, that Topps released. I think Baseball did this. Um, and a couple other releases. I want to say Garbage Pail Kids had a Sapphire release. Don't at me. I was just looking at this a little bit ago. Um, but essentially they did a reprint of the original 1977 release uh, that had this sort of like Sapphire sparkly blue Starfield kind of thing, and they did the first two series of the original 77s. Cards uh, 1 to 66, which was the blue one, and then cards 67 to 132, series 2. Uh, these have become very popular online. There were a ton of different colored variants, uh, anywhere from like green to aqua to onyx, um, and they're very expensive on the secondary market. I just recently got... Um, one of the cards in because although some of these look to be very close, if not the direct picture they used in the 77 release, there are some variant ones where they either clean up the image, they give you a little more cropped in view, uh, so it's a slight variant picture. Uh, so I was kind of curious to see, so I, I grabbed one online and I think I paid about 15 bucks for it because uh, some of the singles you can get, I would say it's almost kind of reminds you of a Topps living set where there's sort of like anywhere from probably like eight, nine to high end, you know, 
some of the earlier ones like the the Luke number one and so forth, those are going for a lot. Uh, so some of the later ones I was able to, uh, I was kind of looking at to maybe snag. And like I said, I got about this one for about 15. Um, I've got a couple others that I'm kind of looking at. Um, what I decided was because it was going to be super expensive and, and not really, you know, not really, not really capable of filling out the whole set. Um, I thought, you know, what would be interesting is maybe do the back puzzle because on the original 77s, uh, there was a couple of puzzles. One was like the kind of their take on the on the classic 77 theatrical poster. And then one was actually a shot of the Millennium Fa Falcon cockpit uh, as they're coming up on the Death Star. So you see everybody in the cockpit. Uh, so there were two puzzles and I think 20 cards each. So I was thinking of maybe putting together like one of the puzzles just to just to kind of see, you know, as kind of kind of pick off some of these singles as they come as sort of like a... a, a like a slow burn chase, only just because the the cards themselves are just way way expensive. Like I said, this was something I think um, I I was listening to Mike Summer on the Wax Pack Hero podcast that some of the folks, if you were in that um, Tops has that online club, I forget the number of it, but if you got in, you got a little early access to some of these boxes. So some people were able to get these hobby boxes, like I said, that came out for $1.99. Maybe they got them close to what the retail price was, uh, and then they're flipping them for, you know, two, three, four times or more. Uh, so that's the hot commodity right now. You know, just when you thought it was safe to get back in the water after Bounty Hunters came out and took a $20 blaster box and tripled the price of it. Although, to be fair, it's trending now about $34. Uh, Paul Sturm, yeah, I'll put a, I'll put a dollar in the uh, to be fair uh, box. I know I'm, I try not to say that as much as I can. Uh, that, that had come out in June. Um, what's nice is now I'm actually getting the Kenobi online sets that were coming out from Tops. Uh, these were a five-card set for like 20 bucks a pop that came out following the release of uh, the Kenobi series. There were six episodes, of course, so there were six sets of five cards. Um, so I only, I've got sets one through four, they've been coming in. So I expect to kind of get my, the rest of my orders here in the next couple of weeks. Um, speaking of which, with, with Andor coming, uh, here, August 31st, what, 12 episodes. Um, I'm assuming tops might do an online set for this Disney plus show as well. Uh, if that's the case, that would be the same, probably a five-card set for $20. So if you do the math, that's, well, it's not something I really want to think about. But I would say that if you're thinking about buying new product and if you kind of got the gist of what I'm talking about here, it's very tough to, to find things on the shelves. Bounty Hunters did have a blaster box that was retail. Good luck trying to find one. The next retail release, really, I see on the calendar isn't until late in the year when Book of Boba Fett has its release. So these online sets and the living set, which I talk about that uh, Chris Penix and Carlos Caballero put out, those are the ones that are kind of like available to the average collector. You, me, and, and anyone who wants to get some, you know, get some product that is relatively reasonably priced without going on the secondary market and trying to, you know, hunt for a bargain. And so, you know, because this year they've really doubled down and when I say they I mean tops have really doubled down on the chrome speaking of which like I said we had the chrome sapphire edition that came out still supposedly on the books for July although we're running starting to run out of July is Star Wars finest 
that the last time they came out with that was I think 2018. Uh, these are going uh, pre-ordering uh, if they were still available uh, for around $300 a box. There were 12 packs per box and five cards per pack. That doesn't have an official release date. Still, they were saying Cardboard Connection was saying July. We have in August or maybe September uh, Topps's Chrome Star Wars Mandalorian Beskar Edition. Uh, this is still trending if you can find hobby boxes for pre-sale for around 150 More like a traditional release, although I'm starting to note a trend where the packs themselves maybe aren't necessarily as full as before. This one on the hobby box side had 18 packs per box and four cards per pack. Uh, it's a Chrome Edition. I don't know whether there is a retail version of this, but I don't think so. Um, this was sort of like a chromed version of the Mandalorian's Season 1 and Season 2. I think it's a 100-card base set, but there were some additional cards not in there. I think an additional 25 cards in the base set. Plus, you'd see more of the traditional, like, you know, sketch cards and, and autos and whatnot. Um, Chrome Black, which is late September 28th as I'm reading this, was uh, trending for the pre-orders around 179 uh, this is a higher-end set, of course. One card per pack, four packs per box. So, you know, kind of along the lines of kind of like that masterwork. Um, at the end of the year, that is at least put on the books, we have that Book of Boba Fett. The hobby boxes are more like I would expect in the pre-days. About 129 trending for a hobby box. This has seven packs per box, eight cards per pack. There is a blaster version available. Steel City is uh, taking pre-orders for those uh, blaster boxes. I'm going to try to see if I can get some in before they go up in price. Um, but you know, like like I said, it's a little tough for the average or you know casual card collector to get in because you have to do a little more legwork than just going to your local Target or Walmart. Um, I'm hoping with Book of Boba Fett that we'll see because there are blasters, more of them hit the shelves just because. Although I enjoyed the book of Boba Fett, and you could go back and listen to uh, Greg, uh, Gregory Cass and I talk about it on our uh, Boba for Breakfast show. Um, it wasn't universally liked in some aspects, and so I'm curious about how the cards are going to do. But uh, anytime I see product on shelves, uh, I will be very happy. And I, I think as far as a hobby box... Um, the Mandalorian Beskar Edition and the Book of Boba Fett, you know, 130 to 150 is still in that reasonable because you would be, you know, you'd be guaranteeing yourself a hit of some kind, whether it's an autograph or whether it's a sketch card. And I uh, still like to collect those. Like I said, it's still a little tougher. Um, some of the higher end releases I tend to st stay away from, although, like I said, I liked the Sapphire. Um, might be something I just poke at. Um, What's interesting is there is no mention yet on the calendars of a Masterwork 2022 uh, or Chrome Galaxy, which I thought that they were going to do um, at any rate. So maybe we'll see later on in the year. Maybe we'll see some, uh, some things happen on along those lines. Um, let's take a look at the convention schedule. So as of this recording, we just finished Chicago Fan Expo. I didn't record a whole lot of audio from it. Uh, much like Joliet Star Wars Day, I just kind of picked a couple of things. Uh, I think Ross Holliban, uh, who I got a chance to meet there, uh, he is Popstar Indie on Instagram, and he also writes for Fanthatrax. 
uh, had a chance to hook up with him, and we had a, we cut a little bit of audio. I may end up doing uh, like I did last year, sort of a what I did for my summer vacation, which some of these events where I was kind of more concerned with, you know, you know, especially after celebration. We did a lot of work on celebration. Great episode, still one of my favorites, I think, uh, along with the uh, the wristbands day to day one. So some of these other ones where I was just more just into attendance. Um, I brought along some swag packs. I cut a little bit of audio. Um, I think they, they kind of look nice as sort of a, a, a an assembled one, and uh, I, I did like that show last year, so I may do that again, uh, just like I was doing for this one uh, that you're hearing tonight with the uh, the Chicago non-sport uh, wrap-up that happened in May. Um, by the way, there is another. They, they did put out the dates for the October show of Chicago non-sport. That'll be October 21st and 22nd, and that was in Carroll Stream here in Illinois. Uh, you can go to chicagononsportcardshow.com. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. And let's see, two events for me left on the books. Uh, ScarifCon, which is, of course, the Big Red 5 meetup with Dominic Pace. That'll be Saturday, July 23rd at uh, Murray's Caddyshack in Rosemont. I think it goes from 12 to 5. And I think um, Red 5 will be streaming for at least 3 to 5. Um, but that should be fun if you are in... Uh, the Chicago area, and I uh, want to meet with a lot of the Red 5 podcast crew and Dominic Pace, who I think who is uh, uh, selling some of his uh, the tiki mugs. Uh, and if you saw my Instagram feed, you can go on at Rebel Base Card and see the uh, the Gecko Tiki mug. I think I should probably post a couple more shots of that. Uh, that was it was a gorgeous mug from Beehive uh, Beeline Creative, and uh, a great mug that had uh, highlights of the Mandalorian on it. And so he'll be there with his. Uh, with his tiki mugs, and uh, get a nice chance to catch up with him. And I think uh, he'll be making the podcast rounds again because he's been on his tour of going to like small card shops and uh, you know comic shops, and uh, you know hooking up with the five hundred first and so forth, and uh, doing stuff for charity. And so it'll be a good chance to catch up and uh, see what he's doing and meet all the the great Red Five uh, podcast folks out there. Looking forward to hooking up with them. And then really on the books for me. Uh, let's see, other than that Chicago non-sport card show, C2E2 um, is kind of not going the full year. They are coming back uh, August 5th through 7th, and that's down here in Chicago at McCormick Place. Last December was the previous one, so we're looking at almost maybe eight months between these two. Uh, this is Chicago's, uh, and really the area I think is their biggest show, um, although Fan Expo I think is was really nice. Uh, C2E2 just will be much larger, and, and so I'll be down there, and I know that uh, the 501st will be down there, and uh, probably some of the other folks who live in Chicagoland, uh, just because it's a great show, it's a chance to meet up with folks, um, and you know there'll be a lot of great talent there as well. I still got to get my tickets, but I'm always usually a latecomer to when that comes, just to make sure that everything is put on the books, and I did the same thing for Celebration, still made it down there, but I should be down there Friday and probably uh, part of Saturday. Uh, looking forward to seeing that as well. And after that, and like I said, um, after C2 and the Chicago Non-Sport Card Show, uh, that will be it for the convention schedule for this year unless something else comes up. Uh, and what I'm excited about that is is that the cards for this uh, Series 4 of mine, of the custom cards that I do, um, I already have a lot of them already picked out and some of them laid out uh, once C2 is kind of in the books uh, I'll be able to finalize that and start printing them out uh, for distribution uh, probably as early as 
uh, Steam into Star Wars in uh, January, hopefully, of next year. But uh, when I do the convention circuit next year, I'll be having those cards with, uh, if I haven't given out some already. But excited to kind of get started on that project. And so, you know, when sometimes you go between, you know, good chance, good time between releases of new product, it's always a good opportunity to go back and uh, fill some holes. And in this case, allow me to kind of get some uh, custom cards going. Uh, they are always fun to put together. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Chewie, take the professor in the back and plug him into the hyperdrive. All right, enough on that. And, and that's something as I do these, a lot of times I have to make corrections in the calendar. Uh, releases slip, they, they get their dates changed and so forth. And then um, updates on the convention circuit. So stay tuned to upcoming shows um, that talk about the release dates. That way you can kind of keep track of what's going on. As well as what's going to happen with the upcoming Disney Plus shows and how we're going to handle uh, not only Andor but uh, Bad Batch as far as the breakfast shows are concerned where uh, Dr. Cass and I kind of go over that. So they'll kind of be going hand-to-hand, um, but in which case, because these shows are overlapping, uh, we're going to have to adjust our calendar to see what we can get out uh, in addition to doing the regular show. So stay tuned, but I hope you enjoy tonight's recap of the uh, spring Chicago non-sport card show. Had a great time. Uh, it was great to hang out with Jalen Warner, uh, get a chance to revisit and see a lot of folks I uh, had a chance to meet before, and I hope you like it. I'll see you after that. We're in attack position now, sir. Hold here. We're not going to attack. I have my orders from the Emperor himself. He has something special planned for him. We only need to keep him from escaping. All right, we are here in the Holiday Inn at Carroll Stream for the Chicago Non-Sport Card Show. Behind me, you see the moose. That belongs to Jalen Warner, and he is the guest artist for this show. It just got underway here about 30 minutes ago. Uh, today, it's going to run on Friday from 3 p.m. to 8, and then tomorrow again from 9 to 3. Jalen's popping in behind me. Um, it was nice to get a chance to see some of the folks as they were setting up uh, to talk to... Uh, them about what their what their goals for what they what they enjoy, and we're trying to trying to bring some of those stories to you over the course of these next couple of days. Always, you know, there's collecting going on, and I'll be trying to, you know, upload some video, maybe throw it on YouTube and things like that. But really, this is just just a richness of non-sport. Everything from Pokemon that's going on next to me, uh, Ed Webb's a booth set up. There's a lot of Star Wars cards here, a lot of vintage. Mike Summer, the Wax Pack hero. Uh, podcaster, he's been around. He was filling some of his Star Wars sets, uh, and it was really cool to see him fill some of the blues and some of the orange ones. He had those vintage ones, and what's really nice is seeing a lot of vintage love here. Uh, you see your Batman's and your Star Treks. Uh, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, um, a lot of the same people will keep coming back to the show. Uh, they'll come back for the promo cards. They'll come back to make some deals. A lot of these people have known each other a long time. This show's been going on about nine years, and so. A lot of this is really about just people getting back together and just sort of enjoying the moment. You know, we are sort of in a lull from the pandemic. You know, we've had a little spike here or there. But really what I'm kind of seeing is a lot of folks, you know, it's funny. Some of the folks not having the mask on like I'm, I'm doing at the moment. Uh, you know, you're seeing these faces going, oh, oh, wow, this is what your face looks like. But this is kind of fun. It's been fun to watch, you know, Jay Lynn set up. He's got some of his characters here. We'll be talking to him over the course of the weekend when we kind of find a quiet time. So, at any rate, um, stay tuned. We are going to bring you more from the uh, Chicago Non-Sport Card Show. 
and we'll talk to you in a little bit. This is Ian Taylor. And I'm Noren Rudd of the Marvel Card Collectors Podcast. And you're listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pool, kid. My name is Frank. All right. And Frank, where are you coming from today? I am in Carroll Stream, Illinois. Well, I noticed that we've got the we got the matching you know, Superman hat and shirt, so you're obviously a fan. What is bringing you to a show like this? I like to see what they have for like comic books or cards or different series for comic books. I'm very interested in these topics. Is this your first time here or have you been here before? No, I've been here probably the last several years. All right, now that brings a great question then. As someone who has visited the show more than once, do you already sort of have it in your head some things you're kind of looking for? Some things like, oh man, if I see that again, what's kind of your what's kind of your thing when you come back and back? What I come back for to see is they always have different stuff with the artist alley. I like the different artists we get, different card collectors, and we get different uh, equipment, different things. Uh, I just bought a uh, Kingdom Come old school comic book series when I was a kid. I never got it. I'm 47, and I finally got it now. <laughs> so that's things I look for, things that I miss as a child. I couldn't get it. Now I, I have the opportunity to buy it. One of the things I'm noticing is just there's just so much overload because as like non-sport, right? You know, we're both not wearing, like pretty much not wearing sports stuff there's just so much do you find it's just like overwhelming not necessarily for me I, I'm, I'm very excited about when I see different shows whether it's here or other cities I go to I like just the different variety and there is enough variety there's enough that I can see that makes me come back each year just so I can see what else is out there this is Dan Rivron sketch card artist for Tops Upper Deck and Cryptozoic and you are listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast Great pull, kid. All right, I am talking with, I would say, the collector supreme himself. This is Don Comstock, and he runs probably one of the m most amazing Doctor Strange exhibits, but you are a collector. I'm not I'm even cutting you short as far as all the accolades, but talk to me about this Doctor Strange collection you had. I know you've been on the Marvel Car Collectors podcast before, but tell me about, like, why Doctor Strange? So I've been doing Doctor Strange for 40 plus years now, and it's just kind of a character I fell in love with. I always liked the superheroes that were self-made, the Iron Man, uh, Doctor Strange, people that had to learn or spend decades or years to learn or build their powers and things like that. And I'm a kid of the 70s, so mysticism and D&D &D and all that was hitting at the same time, so anything magical was a big thing. Then you threw us costume in and you couldn't ignore the costume you know, back then. And I always describe it as if Superman and Liberace had a baby, they'd be the uh, colorful and the kid, you know, just everything that's involved, you know, so I fell in love with him really early and I collected him since a teenager, but once, you know, you become an adult and you get a little bit more money or some more expendable income, that's when I really started actually collecting, collecting, um, and just the stuff I've amassed over the past 40 plus years, so... Well, then it's interesting. When you come to a place like this now, do you do you kind of lean in to Doctor Strange when you come here? Or is this just more of like a, a palate cleanser, as it were? So for this show, I always come to the show just because it's on my way home from work. So I always stop on the way home. Um, so most of the vendors I've been through quite a bit uh, throughout the year, either from the earlier show or somewhere else. So I already know usually what any Doctor Strange stuff they've got, which uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I've got almost all the Doctor Strange cards. You know, I've got everything from Blue Line Proofs and promos from the 70s, um, you know, all the way through the, the current stuff. So I'm missing a few things. A few things will always be out of my price range. But today for me, it uh, was Thrawn. I was looking for Thrawn today. 
So that was kind of my uh, side quest this year was um, I got a little burnt out on Upper Deck and, and Marvel for a little bit, so I decided to go back to Star Wars, which I've still got my original Star Wars cards from when I bought them at the convenience store off the shelf back in the 70s and the 80s when they originally came out. Um, and I'm a big fan of the Timothy Zahn uh, novels and stuff like that, so I decided to go ahead and pick Thrawn as a character. I always got to pick a character and kind of focus on that. I don't do sets overall. Some chases I really like, and I'll concentrate on a chase or two, but I'd rather concentrate on a character. That's the kind of mentality and psychological issue I have with Doctor Strange is I'm a completionist. I've got to have every single thing and every version. And it's like if it was an album he was mentioned on or an LP, I've got to not only do that, I've got to get the Rolling Stone advertisement it was first advertised in from the 70s or, you know, whatever it happens to be. So I like doing the marketing collecting and the pr uh, promos and the uh, proofs and, you know, those types of stuff whenever I can also. And I think as a character collector for Doctor Strange, when you're moving into something like Thrawn, I think that does kind of give you an idea of a scope and a plan of attack. Almost definitely. And that's the one thing that's that I'll always talk about when people ask, um, when they talk about being a successful collector or a long-term collector, is you need to have a bit of a plan because that plan helps you set your budgets and your expectations and your want lists. And uh, to be a successful high-end long-term collector, you know, the, the only way you get a collection like that is by planning and, and doing the long haul and then the long term. Because I can pass, I can see something that's just way overpriced and I know I can pass on it because I'm going to be collecting 20 years from now. It's going to come around again. There's only a few things that really ever turn up that you know you have to jump on when you see it and you're going to have to pay up for it. But, um, and that's the same thing with Thrawn is, you know, I've already had, as soon as I pulled him up, I already started my spreadsheets and my Excel because I hadn't really done a whole lot of Star Wars sets for several years. So I wasn't sure of how the chases and the parallels for tops was so I had to do a little research on that go out to like cardboard connection and pull up some of the runs and so I could set my spreadsheets up and then realistically determine okay what I wanted to actually you know pay for the cards because obviously um, it's a character that's gonna become a little more popular because he's gonna show up in one of the Disney movie one of the Disney shows at some point he was already mentioned in Mandalorian so um, and he was obviously in the, the cartoon in the animated series so I think he's gonna be have a little bit more attention on him and uh, the surprising thing too is um, I wasn't paying much attention to the voice actors till I, till I started looking at the signatures to collect and uh, Mads Mikkelsen is one of my favorite actors I love it you know he was in Doctor Strange obviously uh, he's been in a ton of movies Hannibal TV shows I loved him I didn't realize this is his brother it's Lars Mikkelsen <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that, that was something interesting that, that I found out that just kind of was a nice little surprise once you start doing the research and start looking into it so and I think as you know when you're starting something new there is sort of a freshness to it there is that you know the chase is back on as it will so it probably kind of makes it fun and it also maybe when you're coming to a show whether it's a sport or non-sport uh, there's something a little a little skip in your step as it were. oh yeah most definitely it, it, it's always refreshing to do something new and it's also you know you don't have to have you know it, it, it's you know you don't have to dig completely into it but it's you know I hit all the tables today I dug through all the Star Wars uh, boxes card by card just to check it out you know some of the vendors know I do Doctor Strange and they'll be like I don't have anything new today you know or, or, or this time around so it was good to hunch over the boxes today to, to start picking through so 
Excellent. Well, I have to say it, we can do like a non-spoiler. It's like, my question to you would be, over the last, over like this current movie, which I'm sure you may have seen already, but the last one, how did you have to temper your own expectation of what might come to screen to realize a character, beloved character of you that you collected and, and followed all this time? How do you kind of set yourself up to still enjoy the movie, I guess, regardless of how it kind of turns out at the end? Sure. Well, um, one thing, too, is... Uh, uh, I'm also kind of a Doctor Strange historian and conservator for a, a lot of the especially the vintage stuff and the paper stuff. Um, I go to great lengths to preserve this stuff so it'll be here long after I'm gone. So I'm a big fan of any of it, you know, no matter how it turns out. I've got one of the largest collections of the 1970s TV Doctor Strange movie, which is... By most accounts, most people will say is horrible, but you had to think about the time. You had to think about there was no special effects, but they put more money into that TV movie than they put into any of the other Marvel TV movies at the time. One of the actors was an Oscar-nominated actor, and you'd recognize his face if you saw him. Uh, the problem was is that it premiered opposite of Roots, was the number one strike. Uh, so a lot of people didn't see it, and then years and years and years later, because this was before really stuff was on VHS, eventually it went to VHS, which of course I've got the retail release VHS and the rental version of the VHS and the, yeah, and, in the collection. But uh, when most people see that movie, it's you know now, and it definitely does not hold up, but you just have to look at the period that it was in, and they had to make adjustments to the story because they just didn't have the special effects. So I, I kind of approach that open-mindedly with, uh, with everything. The first Doctor Strange movie, I was very pleasantly surprised because it could have went a whole bunch of different directions, and uh, Derrickson did a fantastic job. The, the new movie, I won't uh, say any spoilers, but I personally loved it. Um, it, it was great. It, Doctor Strange is always bordered on horror because he deals with demons and uh, gods and devils and all those types of things and witches and witchcraft so to get a story that's along kind of the horror lines I've been waiting for for a very very long time so I, I enjoyed it yeah I was gonna say I felt in watching it that there was a it felt very Steve Ditko it felt very like something I would expect if I opened up a, a classic Doctor Strange of like it's really crazy things are all over the place and I think they delivered on that and so I think capturing the spirit of it I, I was pretty happy about that I, it sounds like you're the same yeah definitely and you know there, there's there there are a, a, maybe a fight scene in there that that's very abstract and uh, if you've seen the movie you know what I'm talking about but if you're a fan of Doctor Strange he fights in every dimension in every manner and he's not only the master of the mystics arts but he is also the dark arts the Sorcerer Supreme does earth magic and every type of magic so it was it was good having some of that extra stuff brought in that might kind of seem weird uh, to other people but I, I actually really enjoyed it so yeah all right and somebody wants to see some of the pictures you have posted or where would they go to see the collection Supreme so there's a website which unfortunately doesn't get updated a lot but it's uh, dr. strange archive and then uh, same thing on Twitter Facebook Instagram there's a Doctor Strange archive out there on all of them if you just search it'll pull up you'll see uh, all the different posts out there my icon that I normally use is a picture of my Vishanti window or a stylized version of that so anytime you see that you know that I'm on my page so Excellent. well thank you and enjoy the no, show and awesome. appreciate talking to me. it was finally great meeting you thank you if they don't go for this we're gonna have to get out of here pretty quick Chewie <laughs> Hi, this is Mike Summer from the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, and you're listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. 
Well, Mike, you've got a belly full of Italian beef and you've got a bag full of cards. Can you talk to me about the experience you had here at Chicago Nonsport? Yeah, it's been a blast so far. I was, you know, when I, going into it, I had heard from you and I had heard from Ed that it was going to be welcoming for people who weren't experts. And by all means, that's me. I'm not an expert on non-sports. Um, but there's been there's been a lot of education and a lot of fun looking at a, at a huge variety of cards. You know, and the thing that I've liked the most is it, it's it's got everything from the brand new Marvel and Star Wars sets and things that are just hot off the presses, as well as vintage and pre-war stuff going back to the the 1800s. Even I saw a couple cards from from the 1800s. And one of the things for me personally as a collector, I was super happy because I had a, my list of Series 1 Star Wars and Series 4 Star Wars cards that I needed to get to complete those runs, and I was able to pick them up at a, at a super reasonable price. And so it has definitely been a success for me so far. Yeah, and I, I think when I look at it, and I just, it's almost overwhelming because as we were kind of talking before, when you're normally going to, like, say, the National or, or another card show, it's like, you know, you have, it's the bulk of its sport, and there's just a little bit of non-sport, where here, you're just seeing so many different things, and I always see, like, oh, my God, there's this, there's this, and it's maybe not something that I was necessarily tracking, but I love seeing it in the flesh. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the coolest things about it. You know, there, there's dealers, just like we see on the sports card side, there are dealers who specialize in certain things, right? There's some of these guys have a bunch of the action figures or pop Funkos or things like that. Some have all vintage. Um, there's one guy who has just a hodgepodge of everything, and we're going through stuff, and he's like, I don't even know what this stuff is. I haven't been able to find it. It's that rare, but it came in a big collection of non-sports stuff that I was that I was picking up, and so I went ahead and grabbed it because I'd never seen it before. And and that type of stuff is so fun when you love the research and that and the investigations and trying to dig in and learn what this stuff is. A show like this is fantastic for that because you're you're guaranteed to find something that you've never seen before and you didn't know existed. I think another thing that makes this this kind of show unique is there's it's two it's twice a year and it's a, it's at the same kind of a place unlike say a national that rotates or other ones and so it's almost like becomes a resource because if you have an idea of like well I don't necessarily you know, like you came up for one day I don't have to do it all in one day well maybe I can plan to come again but I'm going to look for X Y and Z. Yeah, I think that's great. It gives me ideas on what I can have for my own checklist coming up for the next show that comes up in October, right? Because I see, oh, there's this type of thing, or these guys have boxes and boxes of this set, so I can bring that list where at, at our local shop or in some of the other local sports shops, you don't see the selection of boxes full of singles to fill base card sets like you used to be able to do with sports cards back in the 80s and 90s. And you can do that at, at a, at a um, show like this. The other thing that's really cool for me as a first timer, like you said, it's been in the same location. I, when I interviewed Ed a couple weeks ago, you know, he said it's somewhere between 10 and 20 years that essentially this show has been running between Ed and, and the, the partner that he puts it on with as, as well as the former show promoter. 
And you can see that when you come because the dealers know each other and the customers know the dealers and they, they, they talk about what they bought last time and bring in things that they're showing what they've put together since the last time that, that they were in. And that type of camaraderie and community, I think, is fantastic. And um, it, it does make it for a welcoming a welcoming event. You can see that the dealers who are showing up here and many of the customers who are showing up here almost have that, that family reunion aspect. Yeah, and especially even after COVID and talking to some people, you know, they're like, it was just nice to get out. And even though, you know, it's a grind to bring everything out, it is nice to see, and I think you do see a lot of great conversations. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it, you know, sitting next to Jalen, the, the guest artist, but it is, it is I, I think people are just wanting that interaction back. And even if it's not necessarily a sale or a huge sale, or maybe it's a single, I think just the joy of just being together and, you know, knock on wood, we're, everybody's going to be okay, but still, it's, it's just, it's fun to see. Yeah, it's, it's been great. I'm, I'm really glad I spent the, the couple hours coming up. I'm glad that you interviewed Ed last fall, which even is the first exposure that I even had and, and to even know that this, this show existed. So super glad that I was able to make it up here for the, the spring show and can't wait to come back in the fall. And until that time, where are people going to be finding you and learning, learning about what you are doing and what you've got going on? Sure. As always, you can check out WaxPackHero.com to, to see the latest on the articles that I've been writing. And you can check out the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute on your podcast app of choice. See, and the great thing about that is it's like I'm getting that like standing across from Usually I'm like you. I'm listening to a podcast. Now I'm getting like, you know, I'm seeing like head to toe Mike Summer. It's amazing. <laughs> Mike, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks again. Hi, this is Dominic Pace, and you're listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. The one thing that I have a question for is when you're doing a, as you're doing a sketch of Mighty Moose, it's a much different environment than you're normally used to working in. How do you how do you concentrate? How do you concentrate or do the sketch, but also kind of keep an eye on it? It's kind of like you have to have like another set of eyes. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's exactly it. Usually, usually you'll have somebody else at the table like you. <laughs> we can sit there and kind of run the show, um, but mostly for the most part, I mean, it's the the whole con scene in general is very much a, a uh, it's a. It's a social event, so it's like you, as long as you don't get too backed up on sketches, you know, it's, some guys will say, okay, I'm limited to like 10, 20 sketches a, you know, a, a day at a show, you know, and then like if you got like a multiple day show or whatever, you'll take home homework and work on it at, at the hotel room. So, but yeah, I mean, you try to keep the conversations going because you don't want to be rude and be like, you know this when somebody's you know when somebody's trying to have a conversation with you but you know sometimes it's yeah it's tough and i think also when you're doing sketches like this you know you're basically sitting down for large chunks of time and you you feel like even if you're going somewhere so in some ways it probably kind of helps keep your mind occupied and otherwise you're just kind of sitting there you're like in between interactions as it were yeah and and that You've got that because there there may be a dry spell too because we're okay. I finished the sketch and nobody's coming by. <laughs> you know, so what do you do? Do you do you get up and walk around and then miss somebody that comes by or you know? I don't know. It's, it's you know I've been doing this since 2001. You know, I've been doing shows and stuff. So I mean, you kind of get a rhythm, you know, so to speak. 
And, uh, you know, fortunately, I've never been inundated with, you know, too many sketches. Um, but, you know, sometimes sometimes you'll even get, like, somebody will come up with some character. Hey, can you do this character? And you're like, who's that? So you got to, like, Google it on your phone now. And then you're, like, you know, using that for reference and trying to jam something out. And then you got, you know, somebody comes up and says, oh, how much for this? How much for that? How much for this? How much for that? And you're like... Okay, so it's, you're constantly it's a stop, stop and go. So I mean, and but that's the thing too is that like for instance a con sketch is nowhere near what I would charge for a commission either, you know. Like for instance, this is it's just a pencil sketch in this guy's sketchbook, and it's, you know it's my own character, so it's like I can pretty much be on, uh, you know, on on cruise control while working on it. Um, so, you know, I charge him considerably less than what I would if he were to say, okay, can you do a, a piece for me? And then that I would do at home in the studio. And then that would be much more. <laughs> well, on that does bring up a good idea or a good question around pricing on, you know, you have, you have a collection of different wares in, in your head. I mean, probably after the first couple, you might have an idea of like, all right, this is what I should charge for this or this or this. But also, you, you may have to go, well, this is a different kind of show, so I may need to price considerably. Bingo. Like, as an example, um, I did, when I went to San Diego, um, I had, like, a bunch of cards out like this um, that I was selling them, like, a buck a piece, you know. And it was just, you know, little sketches, little doodles and stuff. Some was a little more intricate than others, but it was, like, just get it going, get it going, you know, just to just to get people to stop. Now I'm at a card show, but it's also personal stock. It's, you know, old stuff. It's, you know, some new stuff, you know, but it's, you know, it's still trying to reel them in. So, you know, you set the, you know, the price a little bit more because it's, that's the market you're, you're going for. But, you know, I mean, you know, that's like, for instance, I'm not going to walk out of this show saying, yeah, I crushed it, you know, selling $5 sketch cards. You know, but I might get that commission for an AP. I might, somebody might pick up a sketch cover, you know, because they stopped for the $5 sketch card. Exactly. So, my friend, you have the catbird seat. You are outside, but you've got a great table. I've got some cards, but it looks like there's a little bit more than cards going on here. Can you talk about what's happening here? Certainly. Uh, my name's Paul. I'm a board member and volunteer and donor to the Pediatric Oncology Treasure Chest Foundation out of Orland Park, Illinois. They help over 20,000 children and teens every month that have cancer. And it was founded by Colleen Kissel. Uh, her, at the time, her seven-year-old son had cancer, and he beat it, thankfully. And she started the foundation because she found out through him by offering a toy at the end of the painful procedure that he not only took the procedure better, but they actually look forward to going. So they can go to that treasure chest, pick out something that they like. Sort of as like a bribe or a reward. And from that minute, she got the funding and the backing, and currently there's almost 66 full treasure chests operating throughout the United States in over 20 states. And they accept toy donations, new toy donations, no stuffed animals. Uh, but I'm here at the non-sports show this weekend, today and tomorrow, collecting toy donations, single card donations, 
And what I do is the toys go right to the foundation, but the cards we sell and all the money derived from it benefits the foundation 100%. Oh, that's awesome, that's awesome. And I work with hundreds of artists for different projects throughout the year. Um, you'll notice a couple pieces of art on the table. There's a really nice Indiana Jones print by Mark McKaylee. Uh, this is our only raffle piece, this show. Usually I have several, but this is the only one. Tickets are six for five, or for the best value, 15 for 10. And some lucky person tomorrow is gonna take that home. Uh, it's a gorgeous print, and you know I, I like the fact that, you know, in addition to just the family nature of a con like this, that mm -hmm. we have something that really could benefit someone else, and, and you know, you're picking up cards from here, so I love the duality of this. Well, thank you so very much. It's, you know, I love the hobby. I, it's, I've been into the hobby, cards, and comics for decades, since I was a small boy. And 20-plus years ago, I fell in love with the mission of the Foundation, and I've been supporting them ever since. Um, they do have an open house coming up in August. It's the Saturday of C2E2. So if any of your listeners are in the area or they want to come out, look them up online. You can type in POTCF, Pediatric Oncology Treasure Chest Foundation, and you'll go right to their website. They'll have information there, also on their Facebook page. Uh, it's free admission into the open house, but they do fundraise for you know through raffles and things like this. So hopefully we'll get to see you guys out there in August. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. As a kid, I, I, I always was fascinated with animation. I, I mean, back in the day when cartoons were on Saturdays oh, yeah. only. Kind of a thing. <laughs> Sit in front of the old boob tube and just, you know, sketch away while watching, like, Super Friends or, you know, Speed Buggy or something, you know. And... Um, so I really got into the animation thing. And of course, as a kid, you'd, you grew up with Disney and stuff. So I was just blown away by animation. And I always wanted to be an animator. But, you know, back in our day, you, uh, it wasn't as readily available, the schooling for animation. You had to go to California or Orlando. So uh, I went into the military. <laughs> so, and... Uh, so yeah, and then uh, when actually when I was in, you know, because I doodled all my life and stuff. When I was in, the the, the comic scene was really kind of getting big in the early '90s and stuff. I mean, this is like right before Image and you know oh, yeah. that that in that that blow up. So I was like, ah, you know what? I could I could do this, and it's you know it'd be a neat thing to uh, you know it's it's almost like animation. It's sequential art. So, uh, you know, tooled around with it, tried to get some gigs with some companies, and then just, you know, ended up uh, just doing my own book, The Adventures of Mighty Moose. So, been doing that for a while, and then, you know, pimp, pimp the book, and next thing you know, somebody from Upper Deck comes along and says, hey, you want to uh, draw sketch cards? All right, we'll do that. So... I'm drawing Marvel. This is Rodney Roberts, a.k.a. The Art Nerd. With two R's in the word nerd. And also of Meanwhile the Podcast. And you're listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. So, you know, one of the nice things that I like about 
a show like this is hearing stories. And you had a pretty amazing one about a, a convention up north. And I'd like to hear a little more about what this convention is all about. And a certain guest, I think, some of the folks that listen to my podcast might be interested in. Well, it'd be my pleasure to share some information. Recently, the Midwest Gaming Classic took place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's a show that's been underway now for 21 years, and it was held down at the convention center in downtown Milwaukee. Uh, it is a show which incorporates all kinds of games, games of all types, including pinball machines and arcade games and computer games from the earliest dates on. And once in a while, there are some special guests there. This past show, Christopher Sean happened to be there, and it's the second time that he made a visit. For those Star Wars fans, he needs no introduction. It's Kaz from Star Wars Resistance. And I had the opportunity to pick him up at the airport and take him back and actually spend some time with him. A more generous individual would be hard to find. He is just one heck of a wonderful guy. Uh, hopefully everybody gets a chance to meet him somewhere because uh, he is a gem. I'm curious though, what was the angle for him? Is it a particular game that he likes? Is he an is he, you know, is he aficionado? What, uh, what was the draw for him and what do you think make, makes him come back? Well, initially he came just as a voice actor because he does a voice action for one of the video games that's out related to Batman. And so he was there because of that reason. But he is an active gamer himself. And that's the reason he actually came back a second time because he was there back at the show the year before and he couldn't wait to come back. He has said that he is looking forward to next year and hopefully we will see him again. So what brings you to a show like this? What kind of things are you looking for? <laughs> I tell people I collect collections, but Star Wars is one of my passions. I actually have a room downstairs I show very few people. Christopher happened to be one of the few people who get to see it, which is a room filled with Star Wars memorabilia. Oh my goodness, and I'm assuming that has started back from the beginning to this time? Oh yes, way back when, when the original movies came out. So uh, it's just been a fun thing. But it's, to be very honest, the room is getting to the point where it can't take a whole lot more. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have a particular piece or something that really means something to you, or, or the one thing you go, I got, I got, I'm not letting this out of my hands? <laughs> I don't know if I have that particular piece, because almost every piece has a special story uh, with it. Uh, sometimes it's just a special deal, or sometimes it's that special gift that you receive that makes it uh, that unique piece. Um, you may not have it off the top of your head, but as far as the gaming convention, where's a place someone can go? Do they Google it? Do they, is there a website? Is there an Instagram or Twitter that they can find out more about this so maybe they can catch it? Like someone like me can catch it the next time it comes out. All you got to do is do a search for Midwest Gaming Classic and it will come up. There's an awful lot of stuff out there. You'll have a chance to see some of the things that took place at previous shows and certainly uh, have a chance to look forward to the next show next year. It is a great time. People come back time after time and from all over the United States and the world. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much for spending a couple minutes with me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. The thing that I'm, I keep coming back to is that there's, everybody knows each other, so there's this huge family aspect to it. Yep. And yeah, I think that's what I'm enjoying most. Most of the people have been here for, like I said, they may have been here at the beginning when Paul started 18 years ago. So... We, we have a, a core of probably 150 to 175 that have been here for years and years and years and years. And so we just continued it. We didn't do anything different except we just made it free. We don't charge anybody to get in and we just keep it going. 
at some point, were you a collector and enjoyed collecting, or do you no, still? No, I've, I've been a dealer since 1994. Started a little bit, and then um, 1998. I have a master's degree in chemistry. I was in the chemical industry for 10 years, and when I lost my job, I was in a catch 22 and too much experience, too much education. Started doing this in 1999 when Star Trek Original Series Season 1 came out. I saw that it was a way of making money now. Before it was just get by. When that came out, you could see that there was a chance that it would be totally different at that point because you went from 75, 90,000 a year to maybe a quarter million, 400,000 a year. So you could actually make a living at it. And that's when I started that, I went ahead and made that decision to start it. And that was 20, 23 years ago. <laughs> You seem to also have a good relationship with the venue. It's in a, it's in a stable place, you know. Yeah, the the, the place we've been here now because when Paul ran it, he had it in a different place. I think only maybe twice where we had the same place, and then we got here like the sixth or seventh one he did, and then we were here for three or four years. And once that started, we it was it's the path of least resistance. As long as they make it, you know, accessible. Plus, we do it so that we get leave here at three o'clock on Saturday, so they can still rent the venue mm. afterwards. So they're willing to work with us to keep the price down because we're we're only here Friday night and Saturday afternoon. Because of the the tenure of folks, and to me, it seemed like you folks were early back in after the pandemic started to kind of wind, at least in that particular stretch. You know, what's kind of going through your mind as you're starting this back up? I live in South Carolina. We never stopped. This, this, what happened up here is a northern thing, strictly a northern thing. It has nothing to do, I haven't seen a mask in South Carolina in a year and a half. We never, when it, when it peaked a little bit there in December and January, nothing changed. You still went to the restaurant, still went to football games, still went to, it, it just, it's a different mindset. I mean, totally different mindset compared to South versus North. And you can see it the minute you pass like North of Cincinnati. Don't be surprised. But did you see that also in the clientele as well? <laughs> Not really. They were, they were asking us why weren't we at the show. They were saying, I don't care. <laughs> I want the show. So, but yet we were here um, last May. So we've been, this is, this is a year that we've been doing this. And uh, we even had the show in May when Philly didn't have their show in May. Yeah, speaking of which, as far as the relationship between the two shows, I, I do like the fact that they're held you know, with each other, so I think it makes it a little easier for the traveling and so forth. We do it specifically because Ed lives in Phoenix, and I live in South Carolina. So instead of driving back and forth to each show, we just I stay, he stays. So we come up and do Chicago. He has family in Louisville. I have family in Cincinnati. He goes to Louisville. I go to Cincinnati, and then we head over to Philly on Thursday. And so it's a it's a it's a round trip. So it's done that way specifically because of the travel. And Philly obviously is a bigger show, but does it have a? I mean, can you describe a little bit about the character of it, the differences? Philly is a bigger show with a much more emphasis on older. There's a lot more uh, classic stuff there uh, 30s 40s 50s 60s I would say half the dealers there are older stuff and so it's totally different from here um, 
but it, it's there was a, a larger new product at the Philly show for years, but it, Ed and I and maybe two other guys are the ones who do most of the new stuff now. There's only like four or five of us who do the new stuff. So, but I've done, been doing Philly since 1999, and every show that they've had since 19 that was open, I, I was there. I haven't missed one in, since 1999. So. Do you have sort of a consistent thing or something that sells better than others, or it's just it's a hodgepodge? There's no such thing as consistency in non-sports cards. There's stuff that's hot, stuff that's not hot. Um, I just do uh, sci-fi and television. That's my niche, been it since I started. And uh, so I, I concentrate on that, and that's what I try and make sure that if someone says, do you have a Star Trek? Yes. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I've got Star Trek. I probably have 96, 97% of every Star Trek card that's ever been made in stock. Still. I mean, all the way back to 1999 when the original series, season one, two, and three came out. I don't know if you've opened any of those boxes back in the day, but they, they were the first day of the first autograph in every box. And that was the DeForest Kellys and the Shatners and the, all that. And I have, I think I still have all 85 of those in stock. That's how crazy I am that I have all the, the Fleer Skybox stuff, all the closer to home Voyager profiles, Deep Space Nines, quotable, I mean, you name it from the Skybox stuff. I still have all the 90 stuff in stock. And then you have, do you have an online store as well when you're not in? Not right season? now. I, I haven't been able to find a store that I can do what I want to do. Um, most websites are designed for looking, not selling. I mean, they're just, they don't, they don't have the depth. So the best way, I, it's like a lake. They want a, a six-inch lake all the way around so you can go in and look, peak. Mm -hmm. I need something that is a tree, invert it, and go all the way down 50, 60, 80 meters. So when you say Star Trek, you have to go all the way back to the, the beginning. So I need to have 40 master sets. So that means a master set for Star Trek 35th anniversary, all the autographs, all the insert cards, all that. I need an ability to do that. I mean, most of them aren't set up for that. So it's hard to, it, I've tried it, and trying to in, take the inventory and put it in there, when you try to put the inventory in, it's almost impossible because it's not designed to handle that much. Right. So I need, I need somebody to come in and actually build me one that can do what I want. And I haven't run across anybody that's good enough to do it yet. <laughs> Something else when I look at, because this is you over here, it's really like you have everything spaced out and it's just like this sea of it is kind of like that lake where it's like all out there and it's almost like well everybody else doesn't do the sets they don't they do a few right there's only one person crazy enough to do 600 different sets at a time and I've done it since the beginning so there's like I said you, you, you walk around and there's a few sets here a few sets there but there's only one person dumb enough to do this it's crazy to try and keep this much inventory of sets I, I peaked out at one time um, I did a show after I did a couple collections and had 900 different sets and now I'm down to around 600 just because I can't keep all of them in 
but yeah, 600 different sets. Well, and that's something where is normally like for someone who is into non-sport, but usually ends up at a sports card show where you know anything that we might be interested in is regulated to a, a, a table here. It's really amazing to see just a sea of, and what's nice I think also is you get an opportunity to see set design and you can see this or you, if you've got a cluster here there you can see the subtle differences so it's really a nice it's an education as well as a buying opportunity well the, the <laughs> other thing is I used to bring all my binders so I used to bring all my 90s my early 2000s and at the time when I stopped it was about eight or nine years ago I was having close to 50 binders with maybe 200 master sets ish and people were so overwhelmed. I noticed I wasn't getting people to even attempting to look at the binders because it was just too much there. Right. So I stopped and only went to the last five years. And my goal is at some point is to get the five years with me and have all this in a website that you can go and you say, well, I don't have it here, but if you go to the website, you can actually look on it and find Star Trek Closer to Home, Jerry Ryan. It's there. Um, Star Trek DS9 profiles, there's three autographs. Those three autographs are on there. So that you can direct them there for anything older than five years. But you're probably looking at easily a year and a half to two years solid of work in order to get all the inventory scanned in and built into it. Because the, the thing I found out when I started doing it originally was once you get a critical mass in there, it's a full-time job to package to the stuff that's sold and then restock it with what you have if you have doubles. So the, the, the benefit of putting it in becomes a disadvantage as you keep selling as you're putting it in because you don't have time to build it. I mean, there's just, and there's only one person. I'm a, I'm a one-man show, so. What can you tell me about uh, as we kind of, we're wrapping up day one, we're going into day two, uh, is there a difference in crowds or anything that you notice? Or it's, it, it's different every single time. I mean, sometimes everybody shows up and buys on Friday. Sometimes they don't make it on Saturday, family plans, whatever. Sometimes you have a slow show on Friday and it's really busy Saturday. Sometimes it's busy all too. I mean, it's every show is a different entity every year because everybody who's coming is in a different situation. So you, you just make sure you don't predict anything and take it as it comes. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for giving me a little sure, time no today. Problem. It's been a no pleasure. Problem. No problem. We still have 50 Star Wars baseball card collections left. And that includes the Chewbacca yeah. if he played for the Brewers card. That is lovely. That is a, he's a second baseman there. Yeah, beautiful. That's a good-looking card. That's a winner. This is Tom Gross, Coffee with Kenobi news guy, and you are listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. I kind of want them. I hate to play favorites. I'm not going to play favorites. But there's a lot of Star Wars here, so I always I always kind of get gravitated towards here, and I'm seeing like a lot of a lot of wrapped singles. And so if someone's looking for vintage, um, I really I really like it because you know like once again we have all of the we we have all the wax wrappers here. Um, we were talking kind of before about your setup, and I'm kind of curious when you're into it. You know, you guys have been doing this for so long, but can you talk about some things maybe you take away show from show that maybe changes the way you set up that you know hey I want to try it this year or this works something better than others how do you or you just like it's always going in the same way twice 
Well, I don't know. I did change things up this year. I tried to organize cards better so people would have a better or easier time finding the singles or fillers for their sets. Um, you know, I just try to display everything so that yeah, they can see everything that's out there for Star Wars and what they can buy. Um, it's we have have quite a variety. I mean, I got a lot of singles and lot all is stickers and uh, and complete sets if that's what they're looking for. Um, I try to do the best I can to display it. I you know that's about, about what I can say about it is if they're looking for it, I'll help them find it. I mean, I should have pretty much anything they're looking for. Have you been surprised at the jump in popularity for the vintage and has it given you, you know, does it make things better or worse for you as a vendor? Uh, I think it is. It's made things better as a vendor for you because the Star Wars stuff has gotten extremely popular in the last couple of years and uh, I've been doing this for a long time and uh, I see so much more interest and that's why I've really gone all out with the Star Wars and displaying everything because I that's what people are looking for um, it's it's perfect for the, the the age group that we have coming here because they collected it as kids and they're trying to replace I hear the story over and over again I had that whole set and I my parents gave it away or I got rid of it and now they're they're trying to put it all back together again um, as far as some of your inventory, I know that you have a special stack of, of the certain C-3PO card, but since the pandemic, since that interest, has interest in that particular card gone up, or is it just about the same? No, I, it has gone up, it, it most definitely, because more people uh, got into collecting in, into the Star Wars field, and they were looking for special cards, and once that once they got known, they... they they spread the word that you've got to see this card, the golden rod card, you have to see it. And uh, so it just, now I don't find too many people that don't know what that card is. And in the beginning, people didn't even know that card existed. So it's extremely popular. Um, everybody wants to see it or, and, or they want to own one. They say, I got to have that for my collection. So it's, it's, it's an oddball card, you know, you got you to gotta grin when you see it. One of the other things I like seeing here is I see I see the Burger King cards, which are were nice, and I think um, th those are some good prices there. I, I do see that if someone comes here, and I think what's nice about a show like this is to see so many to be able to fill that set. I think you could do it. I think you could do it from your booth, and I think you could do it without necessarily breaking the bank. Oh, you can definitely. I yeah, I, you're very fair on prices. Uh, it's. I mean, you're looking at a couple dollars a card to try to put a set together. It's your time, your investment in time. It's not going to be a huge investment in dollars. Uh, if you want to buy a completed set that, that I put together, yeah, you're going to spend a little bit of money, but even that, I, the prices are right. Uh, I, I try to keep everything very affordable. Uh, yeah, I mean, the uh, Burger King cards, you've got, I sold some cards today from uh, Kellogg's cards. We have... Uh, uh, what are the bread cards? The, uh, the Wonder Bread cards. The card. Wonder Bread cards. The, they're, yeah, there's all kinds of different uh, Star Wars things. So, And everybody wants to collect a little bit or, uh, or they want to add that to their set. They want every Star Wars cards and set. So, And somebody was putting a Kellogg set together and I had the cards they were looking for. So uh, it's fun. It's a, it's a great show. A non-sports card show is a great thing to do. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. 
What do you think tomorrow? So tomorrow will be the Saturday. So you know, whereas today may have started a little bit on Friday afternoon. What do you think you might see tomorrow? And what do you think might you know have any tips as far as what might move, or you think it's just going to be more of the same? I don't know if it'll be more the same. I'm hoping that uh, you know get some interest for people wanting to to buy a complete set. That's would be something that would be great. Something that I put together and and hand picked every card, and that somebody wouldn't really appreciate a set like that. Uh, we'll see. I, I know there's a lot of interest in non-sports and Star Wars, and uh, I hope that we get a good show tomorrow. I mean, it, it people need to come and take a look. I'm sure they're going to find something they like. Um, now is this, um, do you have an online store or are you show, show uh, store only? Uh, just show to show. That's, that's what I do. I, I started as just a private collector for my, all for myself and uh, I just accumulated so much and found so much interest on there, out there. I just thought, no, I, it's time for me to share some of the stuff that I have sitting in the closet. And I started putting everything together and sets together and in, I enjoy every minute. I love looking at every single one of the Star Wars cards. It brings back a memory for all the sh uh, all the movies. And if you're a Star Wars buff, you know, yeah, definitely come and take a look at what we got here. All right. Well, thank you for talking to me a little bit thank today, you. and good luck tomorrow. Thank you very much. I think that as a vendor, you can, you have to be open to, to you know anybody that passes through could be. One dollar, two dollar, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I think after, as as you're kind of sitting down, you're kind of taking a little bit of stock of it. You know, everybody's been standing. That has to make you feel pretty good, though, to go, okay. You know, you're kind of faith restored in yourself, and you kind of get energized for that next day. Yeah. The only thing that concerns me sometimes is when you sell the really good cards. How are you ever going to replace that in your inventory with something of equal stature? I mean, I sold a Frank Oz autograph, certified tops issue. I'll never have another one in, unless something just drops in my lap. But I got a fair price, and it went to a good guy. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good with it. But you're right. Every customer has the potential to be a big customer. You can't look at somebody and go, oh, they don't have any money. That's, I, I think we talked on this last time no judgment zone mm -hmm. just, just because you arrived in work clothes doesn't mean you can't afford my product right. um, it, it and I've got things for everyone you know just because you can't afford the uh, the thousand dollar autograph card doesn't mean that you might not be able you know if if you're in work clothes you work you have a job you have money that's our kind of people you know I we we no judgment. The other thing that I like to see, especially when we have seen store after store with empty shelves, I come here and I see, you know, boxes of product that I've talked about, maybe I've never actually seen because I never actually had a chance to buy it because it was sold out. Here I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing boxes after boxes of product that I talk about and going, it's just really nice to see inventory. I like, I think you'd like to see it gone, but I just like to see it. Actually, again, it, it, Part of it scares me that I could run out of inventory at some point. I mean, because Tops has been really lax lately getting quantities out and limiting dealers what they can buy. Um, it, it really is a concern sometimes that, that the well might run dry at some point 
and I've only got a few strange Star Wars titles or, you know, the really oddball titles that, you know, didn't sell five years ago and they're not selling today either uh, that weren't the best choices on what to buy. <laughs> that happens. Well, and I think also something that probably makes a few more gray hairs is inventory. You know, there's got to be such a finesse in inventory control of how much do I get. It's almost like you're taking a little bit of bet every time you put yourself out there of am I going to have this? Am I ever going to see it again? Or am I buying something that I'll never move? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every every time someone says, you know, how many do you need? And... Lately, the answer's been as many as you'll let me have, but there's going to be a product come along, and there'll be a Star Wars product come along uh, that nobody wants, and we'll buy heavily into it, and Tops will print the, you know, print till the presses give out, and suddenly we'll have way too much of something, and that will be the product that we you know, that we go back to the old norm of having to discount things at certain points. Right now, right now, pe- people will pretty much buy what you've got as long as the price is fair. Uh, they'll, they'll buy into what you've got. Uh, but that, that product's going to come. It, it has to. It, that's how the economies work. Some, somewhere, somehow, there's going to be some product they're going to just print too much of. And then that's going to be that's going to be the the, <laughs> the one that they'll it, it'll it won't be famous it'll be infamous. Well, it'll. I've got one in Star Wars. Uh, I I I invested way too heavily in Solo. I liked the movie. I thought it was good. I thought it was a decent story. I thought the characters were decent, but the cards never took off. Will I have those forever? No. Eventually, I'll get rid of them, but. Uh, you know, and but Tops also failed to give us a great product with great hits and great potential. So it's a mediocre product, and they printed enough of it that everybody got what they ordered. So you know, there, there's there's those strange products out there, but it's uh, you know, it inventory management is is one of my biggest nightmares i mean it it it's and you know down to keeping track of how do you keep track of individual cards and and it's uh it turns out it's not as easy as it sounds (laughs) what are you kind of looking for in day two of the show and how do you think it's going so far uh it'll actually be a little bit different crowd the the crowd that comes on day one the crowd that comes on day one is more focus on want lists and looking for particular cards whether it be I'm looking for the really hard to find cards hard to pull cards or I'm looking for these particular cards Uh, day two is more uh, families more occasional collectors it's a little more laid-back more impulse buying I probably will see a little more Pokemon because there'll be more families with kid, kids in tow. And, and that's a good thing. I mean, we, we need the kids to come out, so I, I, hope, I hope they do come. Excellent. All right, well, we'll see you tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. All right, thanks for coming. Well, let me ask you this. So how do you feel about day one of this? You know, you, you were talking about before, it's like 
you know, we we're talking about like bringing stuff out, and you know, how, how do you feel it went for you today? Well, I think it was pretty good. I mean, I was actually surprised. I don't know why it should be, but like on a Friday, end of the day, show starts at three, ends at eight, right? But it's like, eh, you know, school's out. You know, kids and you know, and of course everybody's on summer hours, right? So I was actually very, uh, very surprised, pleasantly surprised with how well the the day went. A uh, curious thing is what's going to happen tomorrow. Is everybody going to turn around and cut the grass tomorrow? Or <laughs> or is it going to be raining and then they have to come to the show? So we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, for uh, for basically the late afternoon show, it was pretty good, pretty good. And it sounds like we're going to have a bunch of people that are coming back for the next day. So, you know, a lot of the uh, patrons, if you will. So we'll see. I really liked, you know, like when you had the, we had the one set up here, you have like, you know, have a lot of your own card sketch stock. And I, I did kind of like the way there's a little bit of everything in there. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do believe it was a good conversation started today. And I think that was kind of fun because people would kind of stop and they'd kind of sift through a oh, little yeah. bit. Yeah, because it's a, the thing is that not everybody's into Pokemon. Not everybody's into Star Wars. Not everybody's into Marvel. You know, you get a little Transformers, you get a little, uh, you know, SG-1, or you get a little Battlestar Galactica or something. There's always something, wait a minute, isn't that so-and-so? Yeah, it is. So, yeah, I mean, if you just, if you do the one-trick pony thing, it's like, okay, well, you're only going to get right. those people that, you know, kind of come and, come and hang by. So, you know, you got to kind of flex your muscles a little bit. Um you know, and of course, I'm, you know, this is coming from a guy who's got a bunch of comic books with a moose and spandex on it. So, what do I know? Well, and, and on that, you know, it has to be kind of fun because every time you do one of these, it is a chance to introduce your yeah. character to someone who has never seen it before. And then those conversations got to be a little fun. Yeah, it's and what's funny is... Uh, uh, now that you mention it, it's kind of a double-edged sword too, because every time you do a show or a con or whatever, you kind of you feel like you're starting to get the vibe of okay, this is what to expect, and no, they throw you a curveball the next, you know, at the very next show, even the same show and a different, you know, next year. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that you know, it's again, you get them with the eye candy and you try and promote your work and. And, and you're still, whether, whether it's just, you know, original art or if it's a comic or, or uh, you know, your own, you know, sketch card set or whatever, um, you, you got to drag them in by something that they know and then, you know, and then, oh, well, what's, what's going on with your book? Ah, eh, you know, it's, what if Peter Parker was Batman? That's, you know, <laughs> but he happens to be a moose. It's, uh, you know, Dark Knight Returns meets uh, Zootopia. That's what it is. So, well, and then you can also show them as like you know, especially when you're doing your own work, it's like really then you're not worrying about trying to take someone's else work and do your take on it. Well, now yeah. you've got you've come you've got a world that's completely your own, and you can do whatever you yeah, want. I to. mean, you, you, I didn't you know you didn't get the um, the pressure of somebody saying, hey, uh, can you draw you know Wolverine or whatever for any sketch? It was like, oh yeah, no, just do your own character. It's like. That's that's a weight lifted. I you know, I now I don't have to figure out how to how to make his hair stand up like that. <laughs> are are the lamb chops too long? I don't know. <sighs> All right. Well, we're going to get an opportunity tomorrow 
to see not only, you know, hopefully a group of new people introduced to the moose, uh, but also see some of this uh, stock also leave the, oh, the table. Yeah, so, so I'm, so I'm so excited to, to see you, home. so you don't have to drive it home. Yeah, so I'm excited to see you lighten your load for tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm <laughs> looking forward to it. So let's, uh, let's get cracking. Hi, this is Mark Newbold from Fanta Tracks, and you're listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. We are just getting ready for day two of the Chicago Non-Sport Card Show uh, here at the Holiday Inn and Carroll Stream in the northwest Chicago suburbs. Uh, what a full day it was yesterday. Uh, we had a chance to talk to a lot of people. Uh, I was uh, nice enough to get a little space from uh, Jalen Warner, uh, share his booth a little bit, and uh, you know, kind of got to live the uh, live the booth life that uh, he lives as an artist you know when you're doing a show and you have your wares out and you're you're meeting and greeting folks you're doing sketches and so forth um, as well as getting a chance to talk to some of the folks uh, who work behind the scenes here uh, some collectors who came in it was it was very nice and it really emphasizes that that family aspect of this and you know the, the folks who've been doing this and, and this sh particular show in this iteration has been going about 10 years and there was you know a period before that where it was in you know uh, as they were telling me there was different types of kind of the same kind of a show where there was maybe a little more on the you know like on the comic-con side uh, but for about the last 10 years it's basically been uh, a card show and you know you have ed webb and you know kevin bennett who they kind of organize this and you know their their whole purpose is to have a show uh it's free admission and you know you want to kind of come in and they want to kind of make sure that people kind of just kind of come in and they can browse around they can bring lists uh, but it's very welcoming. It's very inviting, and uh, it's 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 been so nice to you know, kind of see that. And you know, when you kind of have a little place to sit and 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 kind of look around, and and you can just kind of see those interactions going. That's what really makes it fun. And uh, so today, um, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of crowd you know comes into this and just to see more of the same uh, I will try to get out and get a little bit of a chance to do some shopping <laughs> you know of course we have celebration coming up in a couple of weeks and so you know on the one hand you know you got to be careful of what you spend you want to make sure to stay within your budget but uh, these are the types of shows where you can really you know you can really hone in on a specific type of of card or a run or you know a set and you know, fill those holes or find something new. And and I I can imagine you can come back here time and time again, and you're still going to find something new or something that's going to pique your interest. So that's what we're trying to uh, do here on day two. And uh, we'll be talking a little more today. We'll see you in a bit. So we're here day two. But what are you working on today? I see you sketching furiously at times. Yeah, I'm uh, just doodling a little uh, uh, like an anime version of. Um, Princess Leia, New Hope, you know, croissants on the, uh, <laughs> on the side of the head, cinnamon rolls, whatever. It's breakfast time. It's breakfast time. One thing you were kind of mentioning earlier was, you know, sometimes you, you've seen this character a million times. Oh, yeah. But having the reference shot of, like, how far off the neck the necklace goes and things like that, that's something that, you know, it's got to, even if you know it, it probably bugs you. Yeah, there's a, no, there's a, the little details that you, you kind of look at. It, this, is, this is why reference in general is so important because it's like, okay, you can look, take a 
I, I could just go from memory, and as long as you got the donuts on the side of her head, it's like, okay, clearly that's that's Leia. But the question is, okay, was was she wearing the necklace, or was that in the others? Or was that the end scene? You know, what's what's where's the uh, the neckline on the on the bed sheet that she was wearing? Uh, do you draw the gaffer's tape? You know, how loose are the are the sleeves on it? And you know what? It wasn't the necklace. It was that weird, the the silver dollar belt belt that she was wearing. That's where I'm chicken winged up. But <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's just those little details. Is like how thick, you know, how how close do you get to the to the upper arm with the with the fabric and stuff? So yeah. So now you gotta ask Doctor Google. Say, <laughs> so, what does this look like? One thing I always see artists do is I never quite understood how important painter's tape was to a sketch artist to keep it all straight. Yeah, oh, well, see, I do this, um, I've got the, you can, you'll get a picture of this, but uh, when I work on cards, I take a bunch of backing boards and kind of stack them and spray glue them together, and then I have, like, kind of this open spot where you can put, you know, you can take a card in here and get for a spacer, depending on how thick the card is. And then you just, you know, kind of layer it up. And then this way I'm not screwing up the back of the card or whatever. It's just kind of locked in. And then, you know, you have this bigger surface that you work around. And then when you get the bleed off on the edges, you just, you know, it bleeds off onto something else and hopefully not underneath. I also like the fact that I've seen you draw, like you have different kind of boards. And I think that's probably important when you're at a show because you're not quite sure how much space you get to draw on. Well, you have um, also because you're not at a drafting table or whatever, sometimes you just kind of sit off the table like this and now you're kind of in that, you know, it's a lap board, but you still have a slight incline. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, it, yesterday I forgot to bring my board, so I was using that little mini table in the same fashion, but, yeah, it's... You always got to have a clipboard of some sort to work on. And as far as like working on characters, are there things that pick you kind of pick up from, you know, doing them over and over that you go, okay, you know, maybe it took me a longer time before, but now I kind of get it. Where kind of the practice makes perfect adage. Yeah, I think I think the the more you get it, you find you know the more you you work on, and this is not just you know, per character. It's also with the format and, and you know, you'll see the stuff on social media in terms of what um, what people are looking for, what people are into. So you may try a different style or try a different technique or a different, even a different medium, you know. Um, so there's, you know, it's, it's constantly evolving, you know, the, the whole market uh, to some degree. But I think, yeah, I mean, as you do it more and more, you, you, you come up with those little cheat codes, you know, so, yeah, I think that, you know, I've sometimes, it, when, when you change technique or medium or whatever, you may have just mastered doing it a certain way, so where you can actually get a little more efficient with the production, but then when you switch it up, it's like, okay, now you're back to ground zero, and you got to figure out how to, you know, speed that process up as well. But you're also getting a different, you know, a different product, sometimes better. Sometimes, I mean, not everything can be a banger, right? So sometimes it, it works, sometimes it doesn't. 
And, you know, it's got to be a little different on the Marvel side as far as the direction you're getting from an, from an art director over what you can and can't do or what some of the things they're looking for. Yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's definitely more of a uh, PG kind of a thing. They, they, they don't like to have, like, you know, like, for instance, a Wolverine or whatever. You can't have him, like, his claws covered in blood and smoking a stogie kind of a thing right there's uh you can't can't get out of control with the cleavage on some of the ladies so to speak and there's also also what's different between um like the the uh, marvel versus the star wars a lot of the star wars stuff is very very uh photorealistic and and definitely comes from the movies almost almost like a screenshot so to speak Whereas with Marvel, they don't want any of the actor, uh, they don't want it to resemble anything from the MCU or anything. It's all got to be basically like the comic version kind of a thing. So, but even, you know, the, again, you've got some of the rules that apply to us as a sketch card artist don't necessarily apply to the comic artists. Like, for instance, there can be blood in the comics or they can be, you know, Wolverine with the stogie. Something else is like, what are some of the influences you have, or who are some of the comic artists, especially working on the Marvel side, that you kind of draw inspiration from? I think my biggest inspiration has always been Alex Toth from the Hanna Barbera cartoons. I'm, you know, I was more more inspired by the uh, by animation than than comics. I think that there are some things that I try to incorporate, and in some of some of the stuff I do that I've picked up from comics. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that there was necessarily a, you know, this is my go-to. I want to draw like Michael Turner or I want to draw like uh, Todd McFarlane or, you know, something like that. It was never like that. It was just kind of a, okay, I like this little thing that he did there. I'll incorporate that into what, what I'm doing. Hi, this is Todd, a.k.a. Big T and Little T Trent. And you are listening to Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. We did it. Yes. <laughs> See, that wasn't that wasn't too bad. No. You you know one of the things I think, and you were bringing it up earlier when you have a collector coming in, and they're bringing a binder and they're trying to fill holes. You almost feel like you know, like you're saying, like it 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 was great that it dominated, but also it you know it's amazing people kind of come in with that. That, that passion, that drive, and you're just trying to fill it. Can you talk about how that kind of makes you feel as, like, you're coming here, you never quite know, am I going to sell anything, am I going to sell out, you know, but does, does it make you feel good, but at the same time you have sort of like, wow, that's a lot. Well, it makes me feel good, but it makes me feel even better if I actually have the cards I need and you can see the excitement that, oh, my, you you filled the last hole in my collection or my in my set, I should say. And that's a lot of fun. Plus, it reminds me of when I started out and I was trying to fill my sets. So I know the excitement and uh, I appreciate it because then we get to talk about each set as we go, too, a little bit and the different things you know about. And sometimes I learn something from the person looking for the cards that I never knew. So I enjoy that. The thing I think I keep coming back to this you have um, the Tops Batman puzzle, but that's something that a kid yourself, myself, when we're putting together some of these sets that had puzzles, that filling that hole, it's like, it's literally a hole, and sometimes people, I remember putting together 
the, the Star Wars puzzles and there's that piece or two and you, your mind fills in that blank, but when you see this, even if someone's not purchasing it, it still is like, it's a complete puzzle. It almost, ha you have a good feeling because you know what? That's what it would look like. That's what it was intended, even if I never was able to chase it or I, I, I was missing this or that. So that's what I always kind of enjoy seeing, you know, as I've been kind of going past these tables. That, the Batman sets are kind of special for me. When I was 10 years old in 1966, I still remember buying a pack of Batman cards for a nickel. It was excitement opening it. And I remember sitting out in the backyard by the sidewalk and building the puzzles, which wouldn't be a, a good suggestion for people today, <laughs> but I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And so the Batman cards with the puzzles on the back are, are, are very special to me. I really enjoy seeing them. So. And how many were in that set? You had mentioned yesterday that there was different variations. I, I believe there's five different puzzles in the Red Bat series. Uh, the first series was a black bat. There was just uh, uh, verbiage on the back of the cards. And then the, when they got to the blue bat cards, there's two different series. One has uh, just a little storyline on the back, and then the fronts are the same, and then the others have a puzzle back. So there was another series of blue bats that have puzzles, and I believe they have either four or five. I don't have them laid out um, but most of the time you see the fronts of the cards and the, the backs of the puzzle cards are almost as exciting, if not maybe a little more. So the puzzles are, are a great thing I remember from childhood. One of the things I also like is when I'm looking through here is like it seems like everybody kind of compliments another vendor here where you're not seeing like 50 of the same thing. You kind of see a little different and I like the collection of vintage that you have in front of you. And there's, like I said, it's kind of fun because someone can kind of stop, even if they weren't looking for something specific, but really get a gauge for really the history of, of non-sport trading cards. Oh, I think that's very true. And, and also I've gone a little step further with what I'm displaying today is I'm displaying number one cards for all different sets from the late 50s into the, well into the 60s. And I, I feel like they, the tops and the other card manufacturers put a little extra effort into the first card that you see in the set to catch, like I have a Munster card in front of me here, you can't see it obviously, but it has a picture of the whole family in the, in the coach car that they have. And it just, it, it brings you right to the Munster's TV show and, and and brings back childhood memories again. So I think a lot of this is bringing back memories. I think that's the biggest point that I would want to say for collecting uh, 60s non-sport cards. Brings me back to childhood. Excellent. Well, good luck today. And, and like I said, the you know we all kind of left yesterday a little like, all right, um, but it's you got to get your coffee in and recharge, and hopefully uh, you can help you know patch together and fill some holes and some memories today. I hope so, too. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Hey, this is Carl LeClaire from the Wampas Lair podcast, and you're listening to the Rebel Base Card podcast. Great pull, kid. My question is, as we are kind of wrapping up the card show, is what's next for you? And, you know, what are you kind of looking forward to? What's next for me is I will be going to a soccer tournament to watch my daughter play. Um right after the show uh really looking forward to that they've already got a win in the books uh yesterday 
You know, if it's just three teams, so if they knock out the second one, they're going to be in pretty good shape, I think. Um, but shells, I don't know. <laughs> no, that's, that's, as, that's as clear as anything else. No, I, I think, you know. It's clear as mud. Clear as mud. But you, you were talking about, you know, there is this trepidation of going back in and, you know, trying to, you know, schedule things out, but you don't know how it's going to kind of go. And it's got to be, you know, it's like, it's almost like, come on, let's get over this already. It has to yeah. be a little bit yeah. of frustration and like, yeah, I just want to get back going. And, that, and that's the thing, too, is that the, the plug has really kind of ruined all of us. I think, you know, either whether it be a, a vendor or a, an artist or even uh, or even attendees for that matter. I mean, I know that when uh, when things first opened up before they closed down again, there were a lot of attendees and even artists that were like, nope, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So, you know, I think things are easing up a little bit, but it's still kind of I don't know how promoters are also reacting to some things. I think that they may be a little bit leery about things, but they still got to get the show on the road, right? Um, so I, I think right now it's kind of a, it's more of a let your friends and everybody else go charge that hill and then come back and give me a sit rep, you know? Now as far as like things with like Mighty Moose and some of the other art, what are some of the things that you are kind of jonesing to either, you know, see coming down the road or kind of jump back into? Um, Right now, because I've been so focused on like just doing just the regular artwork, doing the doing the sketch cards and stuff like that, and things are it seems to me that the industry is kind of slowing down. Not just because of you know the, the the issues that the industry itself is having, but they're also kind of uh, changing things up in terms of what how they're approaching the, the sketch cards and stuff. Uh, so I think that 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 schedule is going to kind of slow down a little bit. So I'll have a little more time to. Uh, focus on you know focus back on the book i've got you know i've got i've got a book an issue right now that i'm halfway through uh as soon as i finish that i'm going to have my third trade um and then i've got another uh trade that i'm working with a friend on uh that i you know have to knuckle down and get going on and stuff not to mention you know just getting back into the swing of things with the sequential art and you know the comic side of things as opposed to just you know the the original art and and the art cards the sketch cards so yeah i'm kind of looking forward to you know kind of dialing that in but i also have you know also in the middle of you know fixing around fixing up the house and stuff so there's uh there's gonna be that 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 delicate balance between you know reflooring a room and and drawing you know comic books uh and one of those rooms that needs to be redone happens to be the studio so that's gonna be uh that's gonna be one of those tricky things to work around as well and if somebody wants to kind of follow along with your progress kind of check you out where are some of the best places they can find you online uh, that's a very good question. Um, <laughs> let me look. Let's see. I am at Facebook, uh, Facebook.com. What is it? Jalen Warner Art at Jalen Warner Art. Also at the Adventures of Mighty Moose. Um, and then I have my Instagram is jlwarner72. That's uh, pretty much where I hang out. 
It's been fun to hang out with you for this card show, get to know you a little better. I get to watch some of your wares. You did this really awesome uh, Boba Fett sketch, which is, oh, I can't wait to Instagram that and try to show everybody else, but it's been really fun to hang out with you. Uh, I want to appreciate you again for giving me a little space here. Yeah, no problem. Let me share space with you. I I wasn't taking up that much space, so (laughs) neither did you. We're good. (laughs) All right, man. Thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. Can I offer you a libation? to celebrate the closing of our shared narrative. Once again, I want to thank all my guests for being on the program tonight, and I especially once once again want to thank uh, artist Jalen Warner for letting me crash at his booth. Uh, it really kind of gave an interesting perspective of sort of watching the uh, the show, you know, rotate around you. And, uh, and a lot of the people I had a chance to talk to tonight, um, it was really fun. And uh, like I said, this is something that's going to be on my calendar regularly. And I encourage you, if you have a chance, if you're in the area, I think it's a great show to go to. I think you could kind of look at it and go, well, it's a little small in some aspects, but there's so much there that um, if you are into non-sport cards like I am, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, what have you, uh, you're going to find a lot there to, uh, to pique your interest. So I recommend you get a chance. And once again, those dates for the... Uh, the fall show are October 21st and 22nd. And like I said, I'll put the link in the show notes uh, for this episode so you can click and find out more information. I know that they will, as the show gets closer, they'll be posting more and more. All right, I'm going to let Card Squadron take it out, and I'll talk to you next time. The Rebel Base Card Podcast focuses on cards, collecting, and the Star Wars community and appreciates you coming along for the ride. If you have any feedback for this episode, you can reach out to the program in a number of ways. You can leave a comment on the Instagram post for this episode. You can also DM Greg on Instagram at Rebel Base Card. Make sure to also follow the Rebel Base Card on Twitter and Facebook at Rebel Base Card. If you want, you can send an email to greg at rebelbasecard.com. And you can find show notes for this and all episodes on the website, rebelbasecard.com. In the Star Wars Card Trader app, and just about every other one, you can find Greg at CornFedTech. The Rebel Base Card uses the hashtag CardSquadron as a way to alert friends about cool cards and recent drops in the galaxy far, far away. It's a great way to bring our community a little bit closer together and help one another finish our sets in time. We collect, communicate, and commiserate. Well, at least when we run out of credits or crystals to spend on our digital collections. Join the fun, even if all the other cool squadron names were already taken. And remember, we collect as one and would be honored if you join us. And if you are a sketch card artist or Star Wars artist or collector, cosplayer, and want to talk about your work, your craft or passion, drop Greg a line. I'm sure he'd love to hear your story. You can also help the show by leaving a comment or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you got this episode. Otherwise, the mission is clear. Keep those cards out of the hands of the Empire and the Rebel Base card will return soon. The music for this podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons license from Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. This is Discipline off the album The Slip. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with Tops, Disney, or Star Wars. 
nor is it endorsed by Disney or Lucasfilm, and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds, and any other related items, are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders here in the U.S. and abroad. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com.